What does it take to be an entrepreneur and how is it changing in our ever-evolving business landscape? This is Scott Galloway, host of the Prop G Podcast and an entrepreneur myself. Right now, we've got a special three-part series running all about the future of entrepreneurship. We're answering your questions on work-life balance, how to raise capital for your business and more. Because when you're an entrepreneur, it's always important to look ahead at what's to come. So tune in to the future of entrepreneurship of Prop G Pod, special sponsored by Mercury. You can find it on the Prop G Pod feed or wherever you get your podcasts. Hello, New York Giants fans, and welcome to your Valentine's Views podcast for Friday. Please like, share, and subscribe if you're watching us on YouTube, and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts across the big Blue View Radio Network. All right, uh, it's it's really unfortunate. It's the off season. There's absolutely nothing going on with the New York Giants, and and, and I have the the great Patricia Trainer here with me, but. But I have no idea what we're going to talk about for the next half an hour, Patty. Have, haven't got a clue what there is to talk about with the Giants. Have you? Not really. I don't know, man. No, I don't know. We'll just we'll just sit here and stare at each other for the next half an hour, Patty. That'll <laughs> oh, make. I don't know if I could take that. that, that, that no, that, but it, that would make great entertainment. See which one of us cracks first. Probably <laughs> would be me. I don't know about that either, but <laughs> I, I I never win staring contests. But that's nah. uh, no, that's it is what it is. But anyway, Patty, actually, as Giants fans know, we do have quite a bit to talk about. It has been a a wild start to the off season for your New York Giants, and obviously, that all starts with with coaching changes, and the the big one, of course is what has happened with Wink Martindale, that whole situation with Brian Dable saying on Monday he expected Wink to be back next season. Um, I think we could see through that, and I think we saw through that as soon as we found out about the Wilkins brothers being fired later on on Monday, uh, more or less just putting the putting the ball in Wink's court, more or less. But uh, Patty, just your take on on that whole situation and whether the the ugly divorce between Dable and Martindale was, uh, you know, was inevitable. I think the best way to sum it up is it's un it's unfortunate. You know, you have two grown men who are not strangers to the way the world works, and. That one of them, you know, and, and I'm obviously citing the post, the New York Post report written by Paul Schwartz that alleged that Wink Martindale felt that he didn't have to be as accountable to Dable as he did to necessarily to ownership. That one of them just felt that way, allegedly again. Mm -hmm. Very unfortunate because, look, I don't know what world they live in, but I know the world I live in, if my boss tells me to do something and I disagree, doesn't matter. Got to do it. If I want to keep my job, got to do it. Right. You know, and, and just the fact that, you know, look, I admire Wink because he believes in the Wilkins brothers, you know, they're tight and everything like that. And some people will say, oh, he was sticking up for his guys. But if those guys were dismissed because they were insubordinate, or they weren't good at their jobs, 
ultimately at the end of the day, that's Staples call because right. this is his show that he's running. And for Wink to allegedly flip out on him as, as has been reported, that's not good. That's, that's immaturity. That's just not a good look. And, you know, if that's how it all went down, then it's unfortunate. Right. In every industry that there is, Patty, there are bosses and there are employees. And oftentimes your boss might not know as much about your particular job or your particular role as you do. But your boss has the right to walk into your office or sit down at your cubicle and talk to you about that job, talk to you about that role, talk to you about what direction he might like to see. And if you, you have to be able to handle that, you have to be able to expect that. That's, that's, as I said, there are bosses and there are employees and, you know, Brian Dable perfectly within his rights to, to sit down and, and say, you know, if, if, for example, he wanted to say, Wink, let's play a little softer this weekend or this week, let's be a little bit more conservative. Let's dial it back a little bit this week. Um, and if that's what he wants, that's what he wants. And he, as he's within his rights to do that. So, and if you're going to work for somebody, you have to be willing to accept that. Absolutely. I mean, and that's a lesson for what it's worth. I know I learned at a young age, I, I was working, uh, before I got into sports writing, I was working for a company and they brought in this new boss who thought she knew everything. And, you know, she started to tell me how to do certain things. I mean, I, I had a specific niche that I felt and she started to tell me how to do things. And at the time I was young, I didn't know any better. And I would say, but look, that's not how it, how you do it. This is how you do it. And this is why you do it this way. And you just can't do that. You can't do that. I mean, you can disagree, but ultimately if it works or if it doesn't work, it falls on your boss. It doesn't necessarily fall on you if you are following marching orders. Now, you know, some people will say, well, yeah, it can fall on you, but ultimately who are the big, the higher ups going to look at? They're going to look at the, the guy or gal who's managing the party, so to speak. So, right. So, so it is what it is. And and I think that for for months now, ever since the Glazer report, sort of about the relationship between Wink and, and Dable came out, there was this <clears throat> impression that that it was Dable who was overly harsh on employees, that it was Dable that was hard to get along with, hard to work for, that was a guy that might be driving good coaches away. And I don't know about you, Patty, but you know, I probably fell into that narrative a little bit because that's what we heard and that's what we saw. But I feel a little differently now. I you know, now that we've seen all of the reporting, now that we've seen more of the information, I still feel like heading into 2024 there's a lot of pressure on Brian Dable in year 3 to get things right but i feel like i understand more about why this all took place and i'm putting a whole lot less of the blame at the feet of Brian Dable yeah i mean look last year was not a very good season for the giants we all know that and when losing starts to seep in guess what tempers get shorter you know, people are looking for answers and they want answers yesterday. 
So the pressure gets turned up. And Brian Dable has always been a coach who's been about collaboration. He turns to his assistants and says, okay, guys, gals, what can we do better to stop this bleeding? What can we do to get back on track? All right. Now, if that is perceived as being harder on them because he's looking for answers that maybe they don't have the answers to, then it is what it is. If, if it means that, you know, he's short tempered, well, who's going to be happy with losing? You name me one coach who's all, you know, happy and joyous and singing Kumbaya with his staff if they're losing. I don't know of any. And, and, you know, all the years I've covered the team. So, you know, can Dable, you know, does Dable have a temper? Yes, we've seen it. Mm-hmm. But he also has said when when we have asked him about it, is it's done in the heat of the moment. It's not personal. And if people are taking it personally, that's on them. And, you know, Dable at the end of the day has always been about, like I said, collaboration, doing what's best in the best interest of the organization. And if people don't want to believe that or embrace that, then that's on them. Then it is more so on him. No, and he walked in the door talking about relationship building and and his his reputation and and what we see is <clears throat> that he goes out of his way to build relationships. The other day we saw we saw Dayball standing in the locker room on Monday, you know, giving player after player hugs as they mm-hmm. as they left for the offseason, you know telling them how much he appreciated them. And you can tell that there's a relationship between Dable and the players. And, and, and what you've always heard prior to all of this is that he goes out of his way to make connections around the building, which makes people feel part of it. So, so yeah, I'm sure he's hard on the, on, on the people who work for him directly, because you know what, if they don't have the answers that impacts his ability to do his job and keep his job. So it, because it's a, as Coaches will always say, we know it's a results-oriented business. They don't win. They don't keep their jobs. And and Dable knows that eventually, if he doesn't win enough, he doesn't get to stay. Exactly. You know, and, and he's, look, he's trying to do his job, like you said. And you can't have people that are trying to undermine you or don't think they need to be held accountable, you know, to you. Or who try to, you know, go above your head. He doesn't need that. That's that's political, you know, stuff. And there's no room for that. You know, you only have 17 games in the, in the course of a season to make your case as to why you belong in the postseason. When you start introducing all that other stuff, that's when you, you know, you as a leader have got to say, you know, all right, guys, what are we doing here? Yeah, I hear you. Almost got you to swear there, Patty. Almost. Almost. I Not heard it quite. almost come out. Almost. Nope. <laughs> almost. Nope. This is a PG rated show. Um, I'm glad that you're putting the rating on my show, Patty. <laughs> well, I mean, is it not a PG rated show? Of course it is. Okay. Of course it is. So right. so we so we appreciate that. We appreciate the filter. <laughs> okay. And by the way, congratulations on reading my mind. <laughs> <laughs> Because I was thinking of a swear word, but I said, no, oh, I, 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 I could, t- I could tell by the hesitation there, Patty, I could tell, but, <laughs> but we, but we appreciate the filter. We do. 
What does it take to be an entrepreneur and how is it changing in our ever-evolving business landscape? This is Scott Galloway, host of the Prop G Podcast and an entrepreneur myself. Right now, we've got a special three-part series running all about the future of entrepreneurship. We're answering your questions on work-life balance, how to raise capital for your business and more. Because when you're an entrepreneur, it's always important to look ahead at what's to come. So tune in to the Future of Entrepreneurship, a Prop G Pod special sponsored by Mercury. You can find it on the Prop G Pod feed or wherever you get your podcasts. Support for this show comes from Sylvan Learning. As a parent, you want your child to have every opportunity. But giving them the tools they need to tackle every challenge, that takes a team. Now more than ever, educational support tailored exactly to what your child needs can make all the difference. That's why parents have trusted Sylvan Learning for 45 years as the ultimate teammate in their child's educational journey, instilling in them a love for learning and a passion for reaching the next level. And Sylvan's insight assessment can identify gaps in learning and areas that could be of concern for your child. It's a 360-degree view into your child's learning that you can't find anywhere else and helps ensure that your child didn't miss something in school that might put them at a disadvantage in the future. And right now, it's the best price of the year at $29. Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L-V-A-N-29.com. All right, Patty, let's let's spin forward a little bit. We've seen, obviously, a lot of turnover on the Giants coaching staff already. We know we, you know we know the Giants need a new defensive coordinator. We know they need a new special teams coordinator. We know they need a new offensive line coach. With Mike Kafka getting at least one interview and maybe more for head coaching jobs and and who knows, maybe when the college coaching carousel is done spinning, maybe maybe Mike decides to uh, to look in that direction. But a lot of turnover. Just, I'm curious for your thoughts on on some of the names, some of the people that leap to mind. Um, you know, f- as people who might fill some of these roles, and uh, and how you think Brian Dable might go about this. I mean, we can start. We can start with defensive coordinator. I mean, just give me give me two or three people you think should be at the at the top of the list. Well, I think. The obvious name that everybody's going to look to is Leslie Frazier, who was with Dable up in Buffalo. He knows him. You know, he knows how he works, how he thinks, went up against him in practice, you know, when they were with the Bills. So, you know, the question there, though, is, is Leslie Frazier ran a 4-3 up in Buffalo. The Giants for the last several years have run a 3-4. That's not to say that Leslie Frazier couldn't run a 3-4 down here, but does he, if he if he were to come on board, tell Dable, hey, listen, I think we would be better off with a, a 4-3, and how much does that set everything back, all right? Um, another name that has been kind of linked to the Giants has been Antonio Pierce, who right now is the interim head coach of the Raiders, and if the Raiders don't retain him, you know, will the Giants have interest in him? Pierce, you know, I covered him in 2007. I think you were on the beat in 2007 super smart guy. I mean, just his football knowledge, 
the way he was able to diagnose plays. I mean, Steve Spagnuolo often called him a coach on the field, like an extension of him. The, the uh, question there, though, is, again, Pierce has only played in a 4-3 defense when, you know, when he was with the Giants, and I think before that with Washington. Could he adapt to a 3-4 if he needed to? He probably could, but how much of an adjustment would that take? And then the other matter is, is, you know, would the Raiders even grant him permission to interview for a DC position? Because it's kind of a, a step down from interim head coach. If it were for a head coach position, they couldn't really block him. So, you know, you have that question involved. And, you know, just I think this is going to be a really, you know, it's it's going to be a really critical hire because, look, if the Giants bring on a rookie quarterback, in 2024, which I think a lot of us believe will be the case, Dable's going to want to be all hands involved with that quarterback. And I think he's going to probably want to be in a scenario where he doesn't have to worry as much about the defense, you know, turn it over to somebody who knows what they're doing, who can manage it with minimal, you know, input from him and whatnot. Obviously keep, you know, the communications open, but, you know, not have Dable have to hold his hand, so to speak. So I think, you know, maybe the experience aspect is going to really come into play there. And that's not to say that AP couldn't do the job. Like I said, you know, he's got experience with, with um, you know, calling defenses and whatnot. But I think maybe Dable, I could see him leaning more towards his pass because it is a pivotal year for him coming up. And, you know, now's not the time to really – take gambles, if you will, with, with your staff. Yeah, absolutely. And you know, the Leslie Frazier name keeps coming up, but Leslie Frazier also wants to be a head coach. And I know that he's making the head coaching interview rounds these days as well. So my guess on the whole thing, Patty, is that it's going to take a little while. There's so many openings and so much going on right now. I mean, in all honesty, you know, on, on a side topic, how historic is it over the last couple of days that we've seen Nick Saban decide to retire at Alabama? We've seen Bill Belichick, maybe the greatest NFL head coach of all time, leave the Patriots. <clears throat> we've seen Pete Carroll in Seattle basically get ousted after 14 years there. I mean, it's just been a crazy, crazy week on the on the coaching carousel. Uh Crazier than than normal, I guess. Even, yeah. What off season, right? Absolutely. I don't know what the off season really is, Patty. <laughs> it just, I. It's funny. I tell people all the time. People say to me, and I'm sure they ask you. You you write about football all year long. You write about the Giants all year, but there's no games. What do you do when the games are over with? And. You pray for most of the year, you work just as hard, you work exactly. just as much. It's just that that what you're doing and, and the type of stories that you're writing and, and pursuing are a little bit different. Plus, you're not running back and forth forth to East Rutherford for games and practices. Right. So it changes, it changes, but it doesn't stop. Exactly. Anyway, Patty, let's talk a little bit about uh offensive line. And I think I want to throw one name out here. Uh, you know, Bobby Johnson was obviously there for the last two years, obviously had a connection with Dable. Probably wasn't easy for Dable to move on from Bobby Johnson. 
the name that everybody keeps circling back to is Mike Munchak, Hall, former Hall of Fame player, guy who's been highly successful in a number of stops as an offensive line coach, guy who's been out of it for a couple of years to deal with some physical issues, but all reports are that he wants back in. And it's easy to say, oh, go get Mike Munchak. But you know what? There's seven, eight, 10, 12 teams probably that are going to be looking for offensive line coaches. There's all kinds of openings now and that are being created. And it might be a great hire if the Giants can get him, but they're not going to be able to snap their fingers and make that happen because he's going to have options and he's going to be able to more or less decide what he wants to do and who he wants to do it with. Yeah. I mean, I, I would think the only way you have a chance to maybe land him is if you say to him, okay, in addition to being the offensive line coach, you're going to be an associate head coach or assistant head coach, just kind of sweeten the pot a little bit. But you know, a guy that I looked at and I, if I'm not mistaken, I think you might've written about him as well. I know I talked about him on my podcast and, and wrote about him as well comes from the college ranks. And a guy that I'm very intrigued with is Washington Husky offensive line coach, Scott Huff. Absolutely. I, mean, I was looking up his, his, you know, resume and what he's been able to do. You know, he's put seven Huskies in the NFL, seven Husky offensive linemen in the NFL. He was retained when they underwent a head coaching switch. I mean, they just won the award for the best offensive line in the country. I think they've allowed what, 12 sacks last year, this past season. And I think, what was it, seven the year before? It was a low number. I don't remember the exact number. And you look at where the Giants are at right now. They've got a lot of young talent that needs developing. Evan Neal, Joshua Azudu, Marcus McKeithen. You know, they'll probably draft and add another guy. So when you talk about matching them up, you know, the need with, with, with the experience – Yes, Mike Munchak would make a great addition. If they can get him, I say throw the bag at him and, and, and do what you can to, to get him. But if you can't get him, why not see if Scott Huff might be interested in coming your way? Absolutely. That's it's. I'm glad that you went there, Patty, because that is a name that I mentioned the other day as well. Might be, you know, I don't probably one of the best offensive line coaches in football in in college football. A lot of guys that have gone through there are now in the NFL or have, or have had at least cups of coffee in the NFL. And and Joe Shane mentioned it the other day. I mean, he didn't belabor the point, but you're right. There's four players that Joe drafted over the last two years. And he's probably going to draft one or two more this spring. And... The biggest issue, I mean, we all see the performance that the Giants offensive line put forth over the, you know, this past season. And we can talk about twists and stunts and this and that. And, you know, and this guy wasn't good enough. And that and Josh Azudu shouldn't have been playing left tackle and, and all of that. For me, the biggest issue is this Joe Shane put a lot of draft capital into rebuilding this offensive line. And for me, this even extends to John Michael Schmitz. I will make the argument that none of those players have gotten better since they walked in the door. Yeah. 
that's the problem. You mm-hmm. you need. I've I've heard Patty. I've heard people say, "What about Dave DeGuglielmo, Googs from you know who who took over for Mark Colombo a couple of years ago? He's been out of the NFL a couple of years working in college jobs." My problem with that is, do you remember what what DeGuglielmo said to us the first time we talked to him? He said, "I hate rookies." Rookies belong over there in the corner where I don't have to look at them. You know, you can't, you can't put a guy with that sort of, I want veteran players who already know what they're doing kind of attitude in charge of this line. So for me, it's somebody that can connect with young players is, is really what that offensive line needs to me. Absolutely. Because if you think about it, they're not that far removed from their college careers so, you know, you, you continue developing them and you need somebody who's obviously can, can say, okay, you know, here it's a little different in the NFL. This is what you need to expect. But you go back and you just look at the lack of progress that the Giants offensive line has made under Bobby Johnson. I mean, when was the last time in the last two years that that line picked up a stunt, regardless of the combination? I, I'm hard pressed to remember. Right. right. And then here's the other thing. You had veterans that weren't looking, you know, as sharp as they could be. Like, for example, Justin Pugh. There were times when Justin Pugh, who's a veteran, looked like he was lost. It was like, you know, like very confusing. Mm-hmm. So get somebody in there who's a good teacher, who can simplify things. You know, football doesn't have to be difficult. At the end of the day, what is the offensive lineman's role? To get in front of the defensive guy whether it be a linebacker or a defensive lineman, and keep them out of the backfield. Get them out of the way so that your guys can go and move the chains. That's all it takes. You know, the technique and stuff, that that will all, you know, fall into place depending on, you know, who the coach is and what his philosophies are. But this doesn't have to be complicated. No, it doesn't. And and you're right. I mean, the twists and stunts and and things like that. I mean, we can talk about if you're talking specifically offensive line. I think we both ha- had issues with a lot of the decisions that got made, personnel decisions, lineup decisions, you know, on and on and on and on. But the bottom line is these are professional NFL offensive linemen who who should be able to pick up a twist. You know, they, yeah. They they should be able to do that. And mm-hmm. And there were far too many of those breakdowns and far too many free runners. And, and I'm a big proponent of, you know, get somebody in there who knows how to, how to deal with young players and can develop the, the guys that the giants have already, have already drafted and are going to draft. Right. And then, you know, a a college coach who's relatively young, like a Scott Huff, he's going to grow into the role too. So mm-hmm. it's not like he's going to be forever young. I mean, as much as maybe we all want to be forever young, you grow into the role too. I mean, coaching, you don't walk in as a coach and profess that you know everything. Every coach will tell you that he learned something new, something that the opponent did, or maybe he finds a new drill to, to work with. And it doesn't matter, again, how many years experience the coach has had. So you just, you need somebody who's like open-minded to that, to that degree and who's willing to be patient. That's the biggest thing. Be patient with these guys because if they're not getting it, you know, I, I had a I had a reader actually contact me and he says, well, I'm a teacher. You know, I used to be a teacher and, and you know, he, he was basically putting the blame on, on the students. 
And I said to him, or, and I said to him, you know, listen, if you get up there and you present a clear lesson and you tell the students, okay, we're going to take a test now and your students don't study or prepare, who is that on? Is that on you or on them? So it kind of works both ways. And I think the players that the Giants have on the offensive line, they really wanted to, you know, make it work. They wanted to do well because look, it's about pride, but you know, it's like, if you're confused, if you don't know what to do, I wanted to do great in math when I was a freshman in college, in uh, in high school. Math was never my great, my best subject. I wanted to do well, but I had a teacher who was just awful, who didn't explain stuff. And I would sit there and I would look and I would be like, "What the heck are we doing here?" <laughs> and and you know, when I finally got a good teacher who explained how to break down mathematical problems, hey, guess what? I suddenly became good in math. I never became good in math, Patty. I had one of those teachers too in high school, and uh, it's the only time I ever had to go to summer school <laughs> because because I just could not get it. I couldn't get it. Couldn't I, ha never happened. But I, uh, I had to become good in math. You know why? Because my my cousin, my late cousin, who uh, passed away a couple of years ago, brilliant mathematician. He was actually the department chair at uh, one of the colleges in New York City. So whenever I had problems, I remember, you know, my mom would call him up and say, could you explain to her how to do this? And he would get on the phone and he was a brilliant, brilliant professor. I mean, he would make it so simple that, you know, I probably could have done the math problems and solved them if I had been half asleep, which often I was. Part of, part of the job of teaching or coaching, Patty, is, is to be, I guess I'll use the word malleable malleable enough to realize that not everyone in front of you is going to learn at the same pace. Not everyone in front of you is going to learn in the same way. And to figure out what it is that makes that person tick and how you can reach that person and how you can make that person better, how you can get the material to that person. And, and, and that's, that's all part of what you have to be when you're a coach, you have to figure that out. Absolutely. Anyway, Patty, I wanted to ask you, you would know, we'll talk about special teams for just a second. Yeah, special teams is harder to put together a list. It's harder to peg, you know, well, let's bring in this guy or let's talk about that guy. But I do know one name that I would love to see Brian Dable reach out to considering, and, and this popped up the other day when, when Pete Carroll got, uh, when Pete Carroll was removed from the, the Seattle job. I think you know Izzo. who I'm talking to, Izzo. Larry Izzo, though his special teams in Seattle have been among the best year after year after year. He did work with the Giants for a couple of years at the beginning of his, of his coaching career. Great special teams player. I would love to see the Giants talk to Izzo. So would I. I mean, and he's young enough to where – you know, he can still relate to the players. He played the game, which is important. Mm -hmm. I think if you ask a lot of players, you know, if you had your druthers a, a, in terms of a coach, would you want somebody who actually played the game or somebody who didn't? They'll probably tell you they'd want somebody who played the game. I'd be all in favor of is there, Izzo getting um, a, an interview and potentially the job. Patty, mm -hmm. last couple of things here. Um, just, you know, sort of, wrapping up, putting a bow on the season, you know, kind of, you know, how happy were you to see uh, 
to see Sterling Shepard have a good day at the stadium on Sunday, to move past Jeremy Shockey, you know, to to get the kind of attention he got from his teammates and uh, and basically put a put a good ending to his Giants career. Ed, I have said so many times, and you know, it's funny. People ask me who who are my favorites, and I try not to play favorites because you know you want to be objective. But I have always had the utmost respect for Sterling Shepard. He he'll tell you. And I remember this very fondly too. When when he was drafted, I believe I was the first Giants reporter to interview him. And right from that day, we we had a wonderful discussion. This was back when I was with Bleacher Report, and we just hit it off. And as he you know grew up, so to speak, because remember he came in as a, a kid, and he grew into you know he became a husband, a father, you know a team leader, and everything like that. And just to watch him grow up. I always tell people that's one of the most rewarding things for me personally doing this type of work is to watch these guys come in and watch them mature. Now, some of them, unfortunately, don't mature the way they should. You know, they go down the wrong path. A lot of them, fortunately, do go the right way. And, you know, after the, you know, in the post game locker room, I probably shouldn't tell the story, but I'm going to do it because at the end of the day, it's all about human to human. I told Sterling Shepard, I said to him, I am so proud of you for what you have overcome, for what you have done, for the examples you said. I said, you were never voted a, a, a captain. You didn't need that C on your chest. I said, I'm proud of you that you didn't give up. Because, you know, we remember he said that he almost, he thought about calling it quits after he had the ACL and he didn't. I said, I'm proud of you for not giving up. I said, you are going to be missed tremendously. And, you know, talking to Jalen Hyatt, who had a locker next to Shep. I mean, Shep was his, his, his mentor. And he told me, we were, we were kidding around. And he, I said to him, boy, you're not going to have this guy here next to you next year. What are you going to do? He says, I really want to keep the locker open. He says, I want to remember, you know, <laughs> the conversations and, and, and whatnot. And, and I, it just goes to show you the level of respect Shepard had in that locker room, not just from the, his teammates, from the organization, the coaches who brought him back, despite the fact that he wasn't going to have much of a role this year, that speaks volumes. So congratulations to Sterling Shepard. You know, I'm very, very sad to see him go, but hopefully we will see him around the facility when we all get back in the spring. You're right, Patty. I had a similar conversation with Wandale Robinson, just about his respect for Shep and the fact that they had gone through their ACL rehabs together and all of that. And and people ask me all the time, you know, am I a fan, whatever, you know, am I a fan, am I a reporter, whatever. And I, what, I, what I say is this, you can't do this job and, and, you know, and put your heart out there. You can't root for teams. You can't do it that way. But what you can do is root for and appreciate people, you know, and, and, and Shep, there's there's a few guys in that locker room right now who who are guys that that I I absolutely root for. Shep has to be in that in that category. Um, you know, there's a lot of you know some guys you've dealt with over the years. You know, there's there's some really really good people that come yeah. through that locker Nick room. Gates was one. Yep. There's there Steve Weatherford was one. You know, mm -hmm. going back a ways, but there's there's also some people that that you'd rather not come across too. 
and yeah. and 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 you do you do root for good people and Shep was good people. Absolutely. And and you know, at the end of the day, that's what this is. People say, you know, okay, yeah, we have to be objective as reporters. And yes, you know, I question why the Giants had Shep on the roster when they had so many other needs. But that didn't mean that I didn't respect him, nor did I feel that he wasn't deserving. You know, you, you got to separate the business from the personal aspect. But at the end of the day, we're all people. And I tell young reporters this all the time. I say, you know what? You want to be successful in the business. It all starts with the fundamentals. And what are the fundamentals? Being respectful of the people that you're dealing with and not being, you know, this high and mighty arrogant person that you're, you know, you're going to put these guys on trial with your line of questioning or how you talk to them. Absolutely. Anyway, Patty, I think, uh, I think that's a good place for us to, uh, to call it a day. Always appreciate your time. And, and I'm sure that, you know, during the off season, we might do this a couple more times. Oh, I don't doubt it. All right. Giants fans, thank you as always for listening. Please stay safe out there. Take care of each other and we'll talk to you soon. Bye-bye. What does it take to be an entrepreneur and how is it changing in our ever-evolving business landscape? This is Scott Galloway, host of the Prop G Podcast and an entrepreneur myself. Right now, we've got a special three-part series running all about the future of entrepreneurship. We're answering your questions on work-life balance, how to raise capital for your business and more. Because when you're an entrepreneur, it's always important to look ahead at what's to come. So tune in to the Future of Entrepreneurship, a Prop G Pod special sponsored by Mercury. You can find it on the Prop G Pod feed or wherever you get your podcasts.